Cool. Mike, what's going on, man? Hey, David, how are you doing, man? Good. Back in LA. Uh, it's, you know, if you're seeing this now, this is recorded in early 2019. And today we have a big episode because it's a huge topic that no doubt people who are listening or watching have heard of. Uh, today we're covering Bitcoin. What does that make you think or feel, Mike, that we're going to be covering this, this uh, behemoth Bitcoin? This is one of those topics that I don't care what I'm doing if someone wants to talk about it. <laughs> that's a great way of putting it. Do it justice. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Uh, I totally agree. I think a lot of people have been uh, caught by the Bitcoin bug. A lot of people have known other people who have been caught by the Bitcoin bug and are like, why is that person crazy or are they stupid or you know, what's the deal with that? So uh, today we're going to jump in and really just give a pretty high level overview of of what that is. Um, I think if we were to try to get into technical aspects, not only are we not totally uh, suited for that, um, it's also just such a rich, giant topic that I think there's no way that we'll be able to get it into everything. So just as a reminder, um, the show is basically every episode we explore a new financial product or opportunity that everyday people can invest in. Uh, Mike and I jump on, we discuss the product, the business model, uh, the trends we see around that product. And then we talk about whether or not we are going to invest in it or we'd like to invest in it at some point. Um, and now is probably a good time to give the disclaimer. This isn't financial advice. Uh, we're purely just exploring these ideas um, so that you can go and do your own research. And I think with Bitcoin specifically, there's no better uh, product for you to do your own research. I've been reading and obsessing over this for at least a year and a half now, and I still have barely scratched the surface. So um, yeah, with that, unless there's anything else you want to add, Mike, we can jump into today's topic. Uh, no, I think that's good. Let's jump in. How did you first hear about Bitcoin? It's a good question, and I think that actually helps to kick things off. Um, I, funnily enough, funny enough, I found out about Bitcoin in 2013. Um, and I actually have a blog post that I wrote <laughs> where I was like, Hey, there's this like digital cash thing that people are working on. Of course I didn't buy any. And I actually forgot that I wrote that blog post. Um, but my sister in 2017 sent me a text and she's like, Hey, didn't you write about that Bitcoin thing like a long time ago? And then I furiously searched my email inbox and I found an email from myself that was the blog post. I think it was either 2013 or 2014 discussing it. So I don't know where I heard about it. I do remember being in Ohio State and talking with someone at their digital center about it. Um, but the rest is a mystery to me. Um, how about yourself? So just as a point of reference, in 2013, Bitcoin was trading around $100. <laughs> and that was, yeah, yeah. And uh, actually today's price is, I think it's about $3,800. Um, but of course, the bubble took it to 20,000. So yeah, that would have been a very smart time for me to buy. I don't even know if I had the technical chops to actually purchase right. at that point. It was so early in the ecosystem um, that it have been difficult for, for me to uh, buy it. But when did you first hear about Bitcoin? You know, I don't really remember um, exactly when I was first turned on to it. I know it was around the fall, late summer of, or fall of uh, 2017. So right before, before it kind of went on that or as it was hitting that big run up um, through the, you know, 2018. Mm -hmm. um, so or actually, what was that? 2017 or 2018? Yeah, 2017 was the bubble. Mm -hmm. 2017. So right at the beginning of that, that run up is when I was uh, introduced to it and just kind of 
scratched the surface and just thought like, wow, this thing is so interesting and just mind exploded as to what it could lead to. Um, yeah, I think one of the hard things is when you start getting to know what Bitcoin is, uh, you realize a bunch of things that aren't normal. Uh, the first thing is it's not a company. So uh, it's not like a, a stock on the index because there's no central party. There's no CEO. There was a founder, Satoshi Nakamoto, who remains anonymous. It's either a person, uh, multiple people. They're not really sure. Um, but yeah, so Bitcoin, it isn't a company. Uh, it's not a stock. It's not money, even though I think a lot of people think of it as money. It's really a platform for producing the product uh, or a product, which is money. Um, so I think the first thing is that you look at it and it's all these things you sort of, you, you scratch your head when you look at it because you're like, well, this isn't that, it's not that. Then like, what is it? What is um, this technology? And why is it such a big deal when I can't really place my finger on specifically what it is? Um, and so I think there's a few angles to kind of hit at what the product actually is. And I think it's helpful to think about it like a technology instead of uh, money, I think up front. And so the first thing is that it creates digital scarcity. So what that means is essentially every time you post something online, let's say a meme or a photo that you took, it's really easy for you to copy uh, that item. It's, it's infinitely scalable. It's, you can copy and paste. You can rip a song from iTunes. Um, and with, with Bitcoin and the blockchain, it actually does the opposite. So rather than making something infinitely copyable, you can actually verify a unique ID for a unique item and essentially set it in stone. It's kind of like uh, the example people use is amber, like where a fly gets caught in amber. You can basically set any item, whether it's money or a digital good or an identity, um, and you can secure it in a way that makes it not copyable, not replicable in an infinite uh, fashion. The way that so much of the web sort of um, exploded on uh, was really this like scalability and, and the blockchain and Bitcoin sort of do the opposite. And the reason that's important for money specifically is uh, if we're trying to track a ledger of who owns what value, which is basically a giant spreadsheet um, of my bank balance, your bank balance, the company I'm buying from's bank balance. That's something you don't want people to be able to tamper or uh, change very easily. So I think the best way to think about blockchain and Bitcoin as a technology is first and foremost, um, this giant spreadsheet that keeps the real digital identity of the original um, item secure. So rather than letting people tamper with it or multiply it whenever they want to, uh, you can actually have digital scarcity, which is a huge deal. Um, and that that leads to a few other interesting items. I think the second thing is really that it's peer-to-peer. -peer. And maybe if you're listening, you've heard of that idea of peer-to-peer, -peer, which means you know I send something directly to someone else. Me giving cash to you, Mike, from hand-to-hand, -hand, that's a peer-to-peer -peer transaction. It means there's no bank in between us. It means there's no uh, third-party like software in between us. It's me directly to the other person. And so I think the second interesting thing that hopefully it's easy for you to understand about this technology is that I can basically text or message money to anyone in the around, around the world without any central party, no bank, uh, no other website, basically no one in the middle who's going to collect a fee. And you might've heard this term before, which is rent seeking, um, which is essentially anybody who's in the middle of a transaction, who's taking a cut of that transaction. 
But literally today, I can essentially text message money to anyone around the globe. Um, and that's a pretty profound uh, innovation. And I think that's something that anyone can sort of understand is that it's cheaper, faster, better, you know, can't be, uh, you know, you go to the bank and sometimes they say your bank funds are frozen or um, you deposit money into your bank account and it takes a day to deposit. Like none of that happens on Bitcoin. Um, and there's technical reasons why, but for the everyday investor, just think of it as like, it's almost like Venmo, but with no company and um, nobody can really tamper or keep you from exchanging that value. Uh, and that's, I think that's a pretty profound breakthrough as well. Um, so yeah, it's cheaper, faster, it's sensor proof. There's no middleman. Um, it secures digital scarcity uh, in a way that makes it, you know, untamper proof, tamper proof essentially. Um, and it's permissionless. And this is, I think the last thing I want to touch on and, and Mike, you can prompt me with questions uh, or add other pieces of this topic, but it's permissionless to build on. So this technology, this ledger um, technology, anybody can actually build onto this system um, to add new applications. And that's a really big deal. So just like I can send money to anyone in the world without anyone um, stepping between us, I can also log on and build on this platform without anybody stopping me as long as I have internet access. Um, and that's a big deal too because it means innovation can explode because there's nobody stopping you from getting started. So, you know, let's say, uh, let's say Spotify is the only place to get music. Well, you have to go through that gatekeeper if you want to publish your song. But with Bitcoin, it's open on the internet. It's open source. Anybody can contribute. Uh, anybody can build on top of it and no one can tell you otherwise. That is, of course, unless you don't have internet or if your internet is heavily censored. But even in places where the internet is heavily censored, anybody can build on uh, Bitcoin. So hopefully that's a good overview of the technology as a whole. I really have only touched on a few pieces and we'll get into more. Um, but you can start to see a few common patterns. One, it's permissionless, just like the internet's permissionless. Uh, two, it's peer to peer, um, which the internet has also enabled. Um, and then three, and this is a little bit different rather than creating, um, infinite scalability, which is what the internet did. Uh, this is almost a reverse of that. It's like infinite, um, digital, um, verification of, uh, unique sort of assets. So it's the opposite of scalability, if that makes sense. Uh, Mike, am I confusing anything? Am I conf confusing right now? Is there something else that you're curious about that you want to add? Um, I know no, I, a good rant there. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, you did a great overview. Um, I think there were a couple other things that stuck out that maybe uh, kind of what some of the selling points for me, the things that I think are going to be revolutionary um, is th this idea of trustless. Um, you know, in today's like banking system and just uh, exchange of funds, you, you have to trust a few people. I have to trust, I have to trust you. I have to trust the bank. I have to trust the government, you know, with Bitcoin and it being, um, permissionless. I don't have to trust anyone. It's perfectly verifiable. Anyone who knows what they're doing can go out and check to see if these funds were transferred from my address to someone else's address and no one can tamper with it. No one can, um, it just happened or it didn't. It's the public ledger. Um, and anyone can access and verify that. Um, and the other is just kind of this, um, this idea that, you know, 
if you had looked back um, when the internet first started to be a thing, um, and you know there are all these technologies and codes being written that now happen behind the scenes that no one even thinks two seconds about, but they're, they were so revolutionary from a access and education and community building and just everything that the internet entails right now happens without us even thinking about it. I think at some point when this hits a critical mass of user adoption, all of the things that we do on a transactional level um, will happen behind the scenes, the user interface will be sleek and just happen seamlessly in a way that carries all of the properties that you just described. So a much better way of just operating in the world. Um, and I think that's what has me so excited is this is probably the best opportunity that you know people our age have ever had to participate in something that could be so revolutionary, um, which is why I think it's such an exciting investment opportunity if that thesis kind of holds true that you know this is like investing in the internet um being able to own a piece of a scarce object that there'll only ever be 21 million of and the entire world is built on top of that infrastructure in you know five to ten years or 20 years whatever it takes um there's obviously significant upside in that with yeah. the that are built into um, Bitcoin. Yeah, no, I think that's a great addition, which is really uh, everyday people might not understand how it works, but they will still use it. Just like we don't know how Google works. We don't see the behind the scenes of using Venmo um, and, and still we trust it and still it works for us. And I think um, I, that's a great point is that if this works, I think most people won't really actually think about it too much. It'll just totally make sense. Um, and we'll get into some areas where that might happen first, like where might we see critical scale of this technology sort of happen uh, initially. Um, there's just a few other points that I was going to bring up. Um, I think one thing, and this is almost like a trend uh, perspective, I guess I'm getting into that already, but I think Bitcoin brings up this question of should we trust people or should we trust code? Um, and because Bitcoin is open source, it means anybody can look um, into the code and understand the system. Whereas when I think about my bank, I have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. So um, a lot of what sort of the blockchain does and you know, an open source network like Bitcoin and what people are calling smart contracts, a lot of that is giving transparency uh, for people to actually look at the underworkings of something and understand it for themselves versus something that's behind closed doors. And eventually, um, that means we're really just trusting code that people wrote that we're able to verify ourselves instead of trusting the person themselves uh, to tell us the truth. And I think that's a really big shift that's happening. My assumption is that that will only continue with artificial intelligence. We'll continue to opt to trusting the machines for better or worse. Um, but I think that's an interesting angle on the transparency aspect. Not that I can read, uh, Bitcoin code, um, but you know, you you think there's enough people out there who can uh, who can um, help decipher that and make sure that people are being honest um, about transactions, about how technology is built, because it's public. Anybody can look at it. Anybody can verify it. And you mentioned that as well. Um, so where and where to go next? Um, I think 
the, the last thing that I'll bring up on the innovation side, and maybe we can start getting into um, some other just general like theses, uh, and eventually kind of get to the actual like investment thesis is um, I'm also really interested in the idea of the blockchain and Bitcoin because it helps with human coordination. And if you look at some historical sort of innovations, a lot of how humans just grow and thrive is simply because we're good at coordinating. And a lot of technologies that have been built help us coordinate better. So the telephone helped us coordinate better. You know, the, the telegram helped us coordinate better. A book helped us coordinate better. And like every time we get this system that helps with human coordination at scale and at bigger and bigger scales, we see massive innovation. And I think because this is permissionless, uh, because it's built for sort of the new economy of the internet, uh, and because it's, it's literally global, my assumption is that we now have a new method of coordination that is going to unlock just huge uh, innovation. And I think that's a bet a lot of people are making as well. So I'm also interested for the coordination aspect. We can now coordinate globally on one public money ledger, essentially. Uh, and I don't know if I did a great job explaining that, but it's like literally the entire globe is now connected by one system for transferring value that anybody can opt into. That is a massive coordination solution. Um, and to me, that's very exciting as well. Kind of a, to piggyback off of that, something I've never really, I mean, I thought a little bit about it, but never articulated it in this way is that if you think about our government and lots of other governments that I mean, they use their, you know, fiat currency, you know, the U.S. dollar, to manipulate our people, manipulate other governments, manipulate other other economies, and with Bitcoin, if you fast forward, you know, a hundred years, no one no one can manipulate it. It's it's encoded, it's set in stone, unless like a consensus of um, a, a fork or or something like that happens. So. Um, some of that government, uh, I don't even know if the right, right way to, potentially reduced. Yeah. And, you know, a more transparent way of, of being and interacting without that government interference, um, is a potential outcome of all this. Yeah. Some people say that there was the separation of church and state, and this is the separation of money and state. Um, and I'm going to indulge in just um, go down one more quick rabbit hole to piggyback on that, which is a lot of people when they talk about Bitcoin as money, um, they talk about what money is. And there's a few items that people sort of have a consensus, consensus on for what money is. The first thing is it's a store of value. It's something you can you know, hold and it actually stores some value over a period of time. The second is, is a medium of exchange, which means that I can actually send you that value the third is a unit of account, which means I can have a balance sheet and make sure I'm keeping account um, of who has what value. And the fourth one that I think isn't actually talked about, usually that's what is you know, always in the conversation, is exactly what you brought up, um, which is method for control. And I think that's kind of the negative side of money. Um, so I would add uh, that money is a method for control. If the government wants to seize your funds, uh, if they want to sort of manipulate people in a certain way, having control of the money actually is a great way to manipulate people. And that could even be a, a more macro scale, let's say with like interest rates, et cetera. So like they're really sort of manipulating people at a macro and micro level. And I think that is potentially what's being broken um, with this system. Now I could also see actually some, some a flip side to this in some ways, 
um, where depending on where currencies go, uh, governments could have more control. But I actually think this is the brighter future that we're heading towards. Uh, at least that's the ideal. So, you know, the internet had an ideal when they created it of what it was going to do. Uh, Bitcoin and blockchain's ideal is exactly what you said, Mike, uh, that we're going to separate um, that control, give it back to the people, um, create transparency. Uh, and yeah, so I think that's enough, I guess, on just like the basic premise. If you found that interesting, I have no doubt you're going to go down a giant rabbit hole. Um, if you didn't find that interesting, we can talk about uh, the, the money part. And I'm sure the people listening have seen the meteoric rise of Bitcoin and then the meteoric fall because we're currently in a, in a bear market. Um, let's talk some about uh, the investment mechanics and the risks. Uh, Summer, you want to start here? Yeah, sure. Um, with a kind of new asset class like this, and this is historically proven true with Bitcoin, if you look at some of the uh, historic bubbles, um, run-ups, run-downs, you know, it'll run up, you know, in 10x over the course of three months and then lose 80, 90% of its value over the next six months. So, I mean, there's these cycles that you can kind of uh, go back and see these boom and busts of, of Bitcoin. So from a volatility, um, secure store of asset, uh, secure security standpoint, just from, you know, kind of maintaining its value, there's a lot of risk in in investing in Bitcoin. If you were someone who heard about Bitcoin in December of 2017 and you invested, I mean, I've even seen stories of people mortgaging their house to invest. You're having a bad time right now. Like there is a lot of risk and there's nothing that says that, you know, right now we've kind of over the last, you know, few months leveled out at a few different price points. There's nothing to say that it's, you know, not gonna, you know, take another hit. Um, I think if you're looking at Bitcoin as an investment, you know, you have to think about invest money that if this thing goes to zero, it doesn't change your life at all. Um, so only invest what you're willing to lose. Um, and then also, um, just be very prepared for ups and downs and have a long time horizon. Um, for the average person, you know, if I was to give a, a recommendation, it'd be like, have a long five-year time horizon that you don't need this money for five years because I think it's going to take that amount of time for the user experience and the, the mass adoption and, you know, over a five-year time horizon, I have a hard time believing that we're not in a better spot than we are right now. Um, but, uh, short-term, very volatile. Yeah. I don't know what I throw in there. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think uh, it it's still a risk. It's a new asset class, like you said. It's extremely volatile. So, you know, typically the highs are uh, have eighty percent drawdowns, which means you lose, uh, yeah, a huge sum of money uh, if you buy at the at the wrong time. Um, and so, definitely, as the market starts heating up and more people start buying in. Um, it's actually, you know, potentially not as smart of a time to to be purchasing. Just like in, you know, uh, then 2017 in December, and everybody's piling on um, because they don't want to miss out. Uh, but really, that's sort of the the point where, um, you know, the asset maybe is in a riskier position. Uh, and it's been through a bunch of these cycles. I wish I had this chart, uh, but I remember finding a chart that showed the yearly lows, which I I actually thought was interesting rather than looking at the yearly highs. And if you look every year, um, it 
it's been it's been higher uh not every year but every cycle essentially uh, the yearly low has been higher than the previous one so it actually has gone up you know very consistently over time at the beginning of the show uh you know we talked about bitcoin being a hundred dollars back in uh 2013 now it's 3800 or whatever it's sitting at today um and so i thought that was a maybe a smart way to look at it instead of looking at the highs look at the lows um and it's been an incredible um, performing asset for the people who've owned it. Uh, whether that continues, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I think m- myself, uh, personally, I've been a little bit like over optimistic, but I think I take your same position in that um, it's, it's a pretty long time horizon. And I think what we haven't seen yet, and I think the thing to sort of watch out for in uh, newer sort of boom cycles is uh, what causes adoption and it seemed like the 2017 uh run-up was very much thanks to coinbase and cash app and um, a lot of consumers were getting in because they now had easy onboarding and access a lot of people talk about financial institutions now having uh onboarding and uh, access and um, a lot of people have been touting that even um big college funds um like MIT and, and Harvard uh, and, and Yale are putting small amounts of money in. So they're starting to bite. Um, but it's really hard to know what's going to cause that next kind of boom cycle. So yeah, I think point. That, yes. that, that, that I think that 2017 run up had a lot to do with like greasing that user interface of being able to purchase. So mm-hmm. I think the potentially the next big, you know, user interface uh, upgrade or the next run up is going to be due to the usability because that's one of the hard i mean that's if if there is a downside to bitcoin um it's kind of a double-edged sword that you have to control your own keys if you you send it to the wrong address or you you know if you lose your your keys um it's gone um so that that permissionless comes with the responsibility to understand that so when it gets to the point where i can just uh, tap my phone on a on something and spend my bitcoin i think obviously it's gonna grease that like adoption of the usability and i think you know that's one of the big things holding bitcoin back at this point is that the average person doesn't want that responsibility to hold their private keys and to to manage that so when when that next innovation of user interface and experience happens um I think that next adoption wave is going to come. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's a lot of uh, sort of issues still, um, I guess, looming, like you said, around uh, how you actually store this for yourself, uh, how you <laughs> remember where I've you never, stored it. I've, and... never spent, I've never spent a Bitcoin. Yeah, both, and that's a good... Both because I, I, I want to hold Bitcoin. I want to, I want to own it. I don't buy it with the intent to, to use mm-hmm. it, which is a problem in that, you know, it, it is a peer-to-peer money system, um, but also because, and I would consider myself a somewhat technologically advanced person, the the user experience isn't great. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'd be more apt to use it if, if the user experience were easier. For sure. And I think you do bring up a, a problem, and I think a lot of people who think it's going to go to zero... Um, would say that that's part of it is that you're actually incentivized not to spend it. Um, I think that potentially changes depending on uh, a bunch of different factors, but I think that's actually uh, one of the concerns that people have 
Uh, and it's definitely smart to go look at dissenting opinions, look at rebuttals to the dissenting yeah. opinions. Um, I agree. I'm, I'm definitely kind of holding onto my Bitcoins, which also helps, uh, it helps you sort of bootstrap this network because it keeps value uh, in the network as a whole. So I think there's actually a very helpful side of uh, holding and not spending. Um, but, you know, eventually you'd think that that system, uh, it might change where people aren't just holding all the time. And I think uh, another, I guess, interesting aspect about Bitcoin, if you think about it, is that it's sort of working for the store of value use case today. Like we are, both of us own uh, some value in bank account that other people in the world agree on. Um, so like you could call, you could say that Bitcoin's going to fail, but you could also say that it's already working. And I think that's an interesting perspective as well. It's like, look how many people have already opted into this system um, that it's actually working for them. So um, I, in some sense, it's a technology that for me personally, not for everybody, is already doing, it already has a job to be done. Um, and I think that's pretty interesting as well. Um, I think we're kind of hitting the end of, uh, end of the show here. I know it took a while to, to get to um, you know, just explaining through it and everything like that. But do we want to kind of just give our clear theses uh, for uh, what we think about this as an investment opportunity, how you're going to approach it? I'll give mine, and then we can yeah. jump to kind of some end of show stuff. Yeah. Do you want me to go first? Sure. Yeah. Cool. So I, when I think about Bitcoin, um, I think about kind of that early land grab of a very scarce and hopefully very useful um, piece of technology that in the course of the next five to 10 years um, will be a piece of an infrastructure that the whole world runs on seamlessly without us even thinking about it just the way the internet works now. So that is the bet that I'm making that Bitcoin will have some, um, I think incrementally uh, high value because of its scarcity and because of uh, it's the backbone of transaction um, in five to 10 years. And it's something that, um, you know, I wouldn't personally invest more than 10% of, you know, investable dollars um, just because it is a very risky bet, but it's something that I, I am willing to put money into, have put money into, will continue to put money into um, when the times are right um, with a very long time horizon. Yeah. That's a good, good summary. Um, yeah. I feel like a little bit of a, a paradox myself and that like, I feel uh, very bullish, I guess, on it being an important piece of infrastructure. Like you said, um, I've been doing what's called dollar cost averaging, which I think we may be spoken about on the show. That just means that I don't put all my money in all at once. It just means I bite small little chunks um, every month on a recurring basis. So I'm just paying a little bit of money at a time, just kind of slowly accumulating uh, Bitcoin over time. Um, I plan to do that for yeah, the next, you know, five, 10 years, uh, as long as that's even feasible for me, depending on the price. Um, and it's funny because like on one hand, I mean, personally, um, I'm taking a bigger risk in terms of the percentage of my allocation, but I also agree, like, but I think my, my tolerance for going to zero is probably a lot higher than most people. So I would totally agree with the sentiment of like, you know, 1% to 10% of, 
uh, your sort of investment money going into it is actually a smart bet. And there's a lot of calculations for why that is because of the potential upside. Um, you know, if you're sort of a strategic investor, it's actually, I think, probably a pretty smart bet to do that as long as it's a small allocation. Um, so I'm, I'm allocating more. I'm cost averaging over time. Um, but I also have a pretty high pain tolerance on this type of thing. And um, like fully, like I, I put the money in and it's gone. So that's just the mentality entirely. Um, but my assumption is that, you know, if it works, it's a pretty big outcome. So, um, yeah, I guess it's safe to say both of us are very bullish on this asset. Uh, you know, reminding everybody again, do your own research. Um, you know, think hard and critically about your allocation. We should probably do a whole show on just like allocation just to even discuss that because um, it's probably just assumed by us. But, you know, not everybody um, has start thinking about this because um, this show is sort of for for new investors. So we're learning alongside with you. Uh, we're here to discuss these different kind of new instruments. Bitcoin is an incredible one. You will potentially get a bug in your brain that you can't stop thinking about if you go down that rabbit hole. Um, there's a few people I want to highlight that you should check out. Andreas Antonopoulos on YouTube. Um, I can link up and he is a great primer on Bitcoin as a whole. He's got hundreds of videos. Uh, I feel like he's a very credible person. He has a book uh, called The Bitcoin... Oh, wait, what is this? What is money? Bitcoin Standard? I'm forgetting what book is uh, he wrote. Mastering Bitcoin? Mastering Bitcoin. There you go. That's right. <laughs> Bitcoin Standard is another, another book. Um, yeah, so check out Andreas Antonopoulos. Um, crypto Twitter. There's a lot of stuff on Twitter you can read about. Um, take, take crypto Twitter with a grain of salt. Yes, that's a great point. A yeah, yeah. Avoid Don't crypto Twitter, actually. No. <laughs> yeah, now that I think about it. Avoid crypto Twitter. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at New Money Pod. Um, and uh, yeah, if you have any questions, definitely comment and we can answer stuff in future shows. I expect some people to comment as well uh, on YouTube uh, and, and kind of point out maybe some interesting things we missed. Please do that. We'll respond. Um, if you're on uh, iTunes, you know, subscribe and, and follow the show there. Uh, let's, let's jump to anything else interesting unless you have something to add there. Uh, no. Cool. Um, so I'm going to start us uh, with saying I'm like really into Rally Road now. So uh, previous episode was Rally Road. Uh, it's an application that lets you buy fractional shares of uh, fancy old gasoline guzzling cars. Uh, it, it's funny. I had not bought any. I think I ended that show saying, eh, not really like I don't care too much. And suddenly I'm like really into Rally Road. Uh, so I'm eagerly awaiting um, a Lamborghini that's going to go on sale. Uh, I'm not putting that much money in. I think I only added like 150 bucks to my account um, on the app. But there's cars that I'm ready for. I'm, I applied to join their Slack channel. Um, so I guess my update on just anything interesting I saw uh, was like for some reason Rally Road just got really addicting to me. And I don't even care about car. I don't have a car. I don't care about cars. Um, yeah. some, somehow it got exciting. So I'll keep people posted on that. No, I'm the same. I, I, I think it's an interesting thing. I saw an article, um, I think you may have even shared it with me, that uh, luxury cars were one of the best investments of the yep. last 10 years now. Whether that means that's a good time or a bad time to buy right now, typically the contrarian investor right now would say now's the worst time to buy. But, you know, I think as long as you're smart about your sizing of this, like i the same way I've approached investing in Bitcoin. Like if I invest a hundred dollars in one of these cars, it's gone. I, yeah. It's in my head. It's gone. Um, 
So, but I still think it's a fun platform. It's a, you know, you may see an update from me that I've uh, done the same. Here. <laughs> they have a showroom they're opening. They're opening a showroom for you to go see the cars in New York city. Um, so that's, that's pretty interesting. And yeah, if you follow us on Twitter, um, you know, we'll be able to send uh, like updates on this stuff that's we're sharing kind of the stuff we're seeing. So at new money pod on Twitter, uh, let's, let's wrap it there. Thanks everybody for uh, your graciousness and letting us cover this giant topic of Bitcoin. Mike, as always, I enjoy talking to you about this stuff and we'll be back again with another episode soon. Sounds good. I'm sure it's cool. not the last time we'll talk about Bitcoin. Definitely not. All right. Later, man. All right. Peace.